Welcome to an all-new Chasing the Word series on Compassion Radio. Well, hello, and welcome to Chasing the Word on Compassion Radio. It's so good to have you all with us this morning. And honey, welcome to the program. Thank you. (laughs) It's hopefully a good way to start the week, too. We introduced this new series last week, and it's the first time in years, literally, that we've jumped out of a gospel or a large book with many, many chapters. We decided to go kind of small this time but with big consequences and a big message. And that is the book of Jude. I mean, how many times do you know that your Bible studies have sat around and said, oh, let's do Jude or Philemon? I mean, these are very short letters that are written by an individual to a church. And sometimes we look at that as if it's just like a a tag along. Mm -hmm. But God obviously wanted these books in the New Testament. They are part of the canon that we consider the best representation of the spirit-filled believers at the beginning who were following all of God's direction and cautioning those who didn't have a whole lot of defenses Mm -hmm. yet against the things that could really destroy their faith. Well, like I said last week, I did not think there was going to be that much to dig into when we decided to do the book of Jude. But once we read through it together, my eyes were opened because there was so much more than I thought there was even to Jude. And I've probably read Jude, you know, a hundred times in my life. And if you spend any time with more than one translation, you end up with this, I didn't realize that could be read that way. Yeah, I think that's what opened my eyes a little bit more as we used different translations to look at it. And after we talked more about it from last week, I decided, you know, we made that commitment on that last series to actually get our own teeth into it, so to speak, and actually chew on the word ourselves. And so I went ahead and did a modern vernacular translation of Jude from the Greek and the literalized English to, from Greek that's available to us on that great website called scriptureforall.org. Mm-hmm. A great website. It's got uh, PDFs on every single chapter in the Bible. From reliable texts, not the only texts that are out there, because there are many different versions of certain books that show up in different places that they have to kind of compare with each other to see what's the best, the heart of this message. Jude doesn't have a whole lot of antecedents. It was like one letter, and it just is there. It's like kind of like Melchizedek in the Old Testament. He's just there. Yeah. But it's also a person that we know identifies himself as a brother of James and therefore a brother of Jesus. So he's also saying in this letter, he's a slave, a bondservant to Jesus Christ, Mm -hmm. like many other apostles do. In fact, it's the way that most of the apostles would identify themselves in later ministry. So this guy is throwing his hat in with all of those other guys that Mm -hmm. went to Jesus first. And we know from the Gospels that the brothers and sisters really didn't interact with him during his earthly ministry. That all came later. So the Holy Spirit did some real work in their Mm -hmm. family. And this guy now is on the leading edge, and he seems almost like a zealot. He's got this passion, this fire in his belly to try to protect the body of believers around the world from the schemes of the devil. Mm-hmm. And he's really going at it with apocalyptic language. Not unheard of at that time. But he's also setting them up for some really important things that prophecy said they were going to happen. I mean, we heard even Jesus' own lips that this whole temple's going to fall. Jerusalem's going to wail like they've never wailed before because of the destruction that comes upon them. Jesus has said this about his own beloved city. So these apostles have to get these people ready for this. Mm-hmm. That's tough work. Yeah. Well, Jude says at the beginning of this letter that he's been aching to write mm. to this people. So he loves these people dearly. But he's been held back for some reason. We don't know well, why. Well, he's... His heart is broken. His heart is troubled about some of the things that he's been seeing happening within this body of believers. And so he feels like as an elder, as uh, an authority in their lives, he needs to address these things. 
And as he does that, he kind of goes through the history of the Hebrew people, Mm -hmm. of the Jewish race, and begins to unpack some of that as we get further into the chapter. And we want to jump in to verse 6 now and read a few verses and kind of... Uh, chew on that for a little bit. I'm kind of in the camp of those who say that Jude and his tenor of his letter and his knowledge of Hebrew scriptures and cosmology and eschatology might very well be the author of Hebrews. Mm -hmm. Now, people have attributed that to Paul mostly, but he seems to me to be the misfit in this one. He's always focusing on explaining Jesus the person to the people who are not of the way before that. They're Mm -hmm. not part of the, Mm -hmm. the Jewish people. Right. And the rest of the apostles seem to be much more preoccupied and focused on the people they do know, the people they came from. Mm-hmm. But when this apostle, this Jude, sends this letter to the church, he's sending it to a multinational, multi-ethnic, multilingual church around the entire Roman Empire. This is not small stuff. Mm-hmm. It's already exploded from the Holy Land all around the Roman Empire in just a few short years. So this is a, an ascendant religion, and it's also one that has very few roots in that they don't have their own written canon that's been collected yet. The Bible literally is still being written for them. So in verse 5, Jude reminds them of the many stories that they've heard already about God bringing the children of Israel out of Egypt and the meaning of that. Yeah, what it means for them now. Especially. Yeah, and just reminding them, hey, the Spirit enlightened you about this, mm. and you've forgotten what really happened there because God rescued the children, but then there were some that grumbled against him and his servant Moses, and mm. God said, no, I'm not going to have that. And he took the lives of those who didn't believe, or he let them perish, right. I should say. We're going to pick up in verse 6 now. And you're reading from which translation right now? The voice. The voice, okay. And God has kept the rebellious heavenly messengers bound and chained in utter darkness, shadowy gloom, until the time when his judgment arrives, because they failed to keep their rightful positions and abandoned their appointed realms. Sodom and Gomorrah and all their neighbors were defeated by their own sexual perversions as they pursued the strange and unnatural impulses of the flesh. Let these who went their own way and are experiencing the eternal heat of God's vengeance, a punishment by fire, be a warning to you. These stories are examples to help you understand the fate of those dreamers who have slipped in and defiled your community, rejected those in charge, and insulted the glorious majesty of the heavenly messengers. Even their chief, Michael, when disputing with the devil over Moses' body, did not offer his own taunting judgment against him. He simply said, May the Lord's rebuke fall on you. Heavy words. It sounds like there's a whole lot of wrath in those words, Mm -hmm. too. The thing I was kind of struggling with, and I was working on a translation of it myself, was that it seems like he's focused on those who bring falsehood into the church, and that's who he's really talking about. And then suddenly it seems like he jumps to angels and jumps to this, jumps to that. It's like these are fractions of something that was a fuller thought, the way it comes across was in English. And the thing that struck me about the way the Greek is laid out for us is that he's still focused on them. These ne'er-do-wells in the church are just like these things. So the Mm. comparison seems to be like he's talking about those things in order to remind us that even they, the highest of spiritual beings that God created that we know of, don't act as cocky as those people in the church. Even Michael the Archangel didn't shame or go after the devil directly. He just said, the Lord rebuke you. He Mm. he literally has restraint. Mm, He didn't presume to be an authority in any way in that sense. Well, he knows he's an authority. He's in the throne room of God, worshiping and serving him. So he has the authority by experience, but he's not wielding it like a weapon. Mm -hmm. But Jews saying people in the church are. 
they're going way above what right. even angels would have the authority to speak mm-hmm. of. And they're really punching God in the face by doing this is what he's trying to get at. Mm-hmm. So it seems to me he's really still focused on those who are trying to lead the faithful astray, not about the other stories about how angels fall. Mm-hmm. I see the contrast there. I see the uh, comparison, but I don't see him switching subjects. Right. I understand what you're saying. So as I was writing that particular passage, what I was coming up with in verse 6 was, like some of the angels long ago, these scoffers abandoned their honored position and the very best things of God, just like the angels did. Now they've sentenced themselves to inhabit a wasteland, a prison of their own making. And on that great day of judgment, the whole sordid story will be told. Mm. Angels and men. So I have become more and more convinced as I've read through this thing and have had to rewrite it in my own pen a number of times trying to see how it works without just going over and saying, okay, let's just copy King James and make it sound more modern. <laughs> I'm just trying to read these these words and see who they apply to. And when characters are introduced, usually they're being used as a literary tool. This is hyperbole. This is very much apocalyptic language that Jude is using. But I don't think he's really saying that, you know, woe unto us, the sky is falling tomorrow. Mm-hmm. He's saying this is what is happening to you. And even the angels themselves didn't go that far. Well, it seems to me that Jude is relaying these fantastical stories. Yes, these, he is. He's making a really strong point here. Yes. You know, these very. are the, the big stories we hear about, you know, the fallen angels and being thrown into darkness and, and to... Fire and brimstone, basically, and mm-hmm. Sodom and Gomorrah. I mean, that's a big one right. for the the children of Israel to remember and to be reminded that, you know, the biggest sin, in my opinion, of the whole idea of Sodom and Gomorrah was not just the sexual perversion, but it was the evil in the way their culture treats hospitality. Mm-hmm. And hospitality is a very important thing. And when someone comes into your home, you... Well, hold there. You're not just talking about hospitality as an important thing, like it's something we value. You're saying that it was fundamental to it identity. Is absolutely. Back to the absolutely. Yeah. So when Lot welcomes these angels into his home and the city people come and want to take them out, he's saying, no, 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 that's not what we do. That's not the way our fundamental belief is in taking care of the stranger, taking yeah. care of people who come into our home. So this verse and, and other verses like this, I think, are used a lot of times against a lot of people and a lot of lifestyles that we don't agree with or that we don't like. I would argue that I think it has a lot to do with the way we treat people and the way people are treated that are in our care more than anything else. Do we do them violence with our words? I mean, there are, I think, literally greater sins than sexual sins by mm. the way we harm people of all types. You know, I've seen plenty of language, even on Facebook and other social media, that have normalized within Christian circles abusive and profane talk. Mm-hmm. And they consider it political speech. You can say whatever you want about a political candidate, even invoking sexual violence on them. I'm hearing Christians say this about elected officials. Tell me that's not a complete corruption of what our responsibilities are as citizens of a kingdom first and a republic second. I worry about that a lot because the language that we're using now, that we're normalizing, we're accepting as as a protected speech, like somehow it's higher than even God's words, mm-hmm. is somehow good that we would lambaste people with aggressive and abusive talk and call ourselves justified for doing so. Well, the way you write this in verse 7, you say they're self-righteous, 
self-absorbed, self-indulgent, a bonfire of vanities. They are just so consumed with their own self, with what they want. And Jude is warning the people that he's writing to that the church not to get caught up in this kind of lifestyle. Don't get caught up in the self-indulgent lifestyle, in the self-righteous, self-absorbed, personal, my, my, mine lifestyle, because that's what's corrupting the church. A word that gets used in most English translations in their describing the uh, sexual improprieties or ethics is a word that is translated as prostitution. So that's just a global word that's going to encompass all things that would be sex outside of the bonds that God would say is blessed. Mm -hmm. Um, The word that's actually used in there has to do with a very specific kind of spiritual function that happened in pagan temples. Mm -hmm. That there was these women and men that would literally go to college to become erudite in all kinds of subjects, become philosophers, but also become adept in the sexual arts and use that as some of their service in the temples— and that this was considered sacred to the pagans, where any sex that might happen in that temple was perfectly fine and good. It can't harm anything else. It's not really part of your real life. And so it didn't impact your relationship or your station in society if you went to the temple and had this kind of tryst with somebody. Mm. And like in many cultures, have this esteemed person that would be like almost above sex, but that, that might be available with that person in these contexts. It's really a weird thing. So you think that's what Jude is referring to in this verse? I think he's literally saying, like those temple prostitutes, the ones that actually have the role of doing this, as Jude say, a perverted act of worship, those people who are so regarded highly within paganism, that's what he's referring to, that these ne'er-do-wells are acting just like that. They think themselves so free and so high and mighty above everything else, they can do whatever they want. Mm-hmm. We're living through an age right now where the church is having to reckon with, that's the kind of attitude that so many people in power, pastors, politicians, people of influence and authority in this world have taken advantage of their positions of influence and authority and abused people, institutions, and in the case of Christians, have brought huge reproach on the church of Christ. We're living through that right now. Mm -hmm. I mean, there are denominations that are having a hard, hard reckoning with the fact they've pulled a rug over sins like this for decades, if not centuries. That reckoning needs to happen. And I think that's the kind of thing that Jude is talking about. Again, he is not talking about all the sin out there in the world. Every example he brings up is to talk about the sin in the camp. Right. And we have to get our heads back in that space, that... If there's any shame to be found in the words that Jude's speaking, it's not about those who live that way already. It's about all those who should be living a different way because the Holy Spirit should be flushing out of them all the things that go against Christ. And we're not talking about dancing or wearing short shorts or something. This is about a heart of hearts issue, not about a cultural issue. Do we love Jesus enough to want to be like him? And if so, what's he like? Well, he's saying here that these people that are coming into the body are defiling the community by their attitudes, by their rejection of godly authority. Rejecting the Holy Spirit's the authority. The Holy Spirit's authority. Them. They're insulting God and his, Jesus. and his majesty. Yeah. The way you write verse 8 is really great. The dream they have is really a nightmare. 
They can't even humble themselves to acknowledge any other moral authority than themselves. So they look for disgusting things to do to prove how free they are, call what is good evil, and slander heaven in their mockery. This is where we're living right now, honey. Yeah. This is the way our culture is playing out. And I hate to sound like an old person saying, mm-hmm. those young people are acting this way. It is what is happening. People. It is what's happening in the church yeah. today. We're seeing a lot of churches being being inundated with dreamers, if you want to call them that, nightmare scenarios (laughs) scenarios (laughs) of leadership that is not really following the Holy Spirit. They're calling what is evil good, and they're, they're behaving in such a way and saying, we're free, we're free, we can do whatever we want. That is not what the scriptures mean when it says it is for freedom we've been set free. Yeah. It is not to harm others in that pursuit of freedom. Let me go ahead and jump into one really hard question, though, because it will be the first thing on people's minds when we start talking about sexual ethics. Mm. When someone comes in and calls what is good evil and what is evil good, we immediately go to the top 10 list right. in our minds of what we think is bad behaviors or is abominable, or is sinful just by the look of it, because it's something we can't ascribe to, or because it's something that we've always heard is horrible. And we're living in an age right now, this is the month of pride, Mm -hmm. so to speak, in America. It is something that is part of our cultural fabric now. Mm -hmm. It's not something that's ever going to be going away, as far as I can tell. And the question I have is, what's really at stake here? Because when the Christians come at this one and say, oh, those people who do those things are hell-bound, they're not savable, you know what? The question of sexual ethics and who is savable, who is not savable, is a much bigger and profound spiritual question than what behaviors might be unpleasant to you or against your theology. There are, I'm certain, people that are hearing this program right now that have somebody in their family who's gay or who has thought about coming out and talk to somebody else, and other people are keeping their secrets. Mm. Why are they keeping the secrets? Because they're keeping their reputation. They're not dealing with things honestly or loving people, period. They're dealing with the fear of failure and the fear of ostracizing or being thrown out, being cast away from whatever this institution is we think has the authority. I don't know what the answer is about Christians who are born gay as they see themselves to be, but still want to know Jesus. But I do know that condemning somebody because they behave or identify as something that I don't understand or believe to be right for me does not entitle me to damn them. No. It just doesn't. So if that not be the case, what is the case? What would Jesus really do in situations like that? And that's the question I think we're really not asking ourselves yet in the church. Here's what I think Jesus would say concerning that. The greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And that doesn't mean just the way you feel about yourself, but it means all the things he just said about loving God. Love your neighbor like you yourself love. Mm. It is much a valid interpretation of as you love yourself. So every way you've ever learned to really love, he's saying to apply that to the neighbor. He does not say which kind of neighbor. He doesn't say which neighbors you can choose to like or love. He's saying the ones who are close to you, period. So when Jesus tells stories about neighbors, he doesn't tell stories about people you like. He tells about people you actually encounter. Mm -hmm. And that's, I think, what Jude is also dealing with here. He's talking about the people in the camp that are bringing in all kinds of hatred and falsehoods and lies, first of all about God, 
but also about other people. Mm-hmm. And how many ways have we, as a church, gotten to the point of discovering that somebody came out of the closet and suddenly they're fair game? You can slam them as hard as you want because of who or what they are. Mm. And the day before, they were Bible-believing, wonderful Christians that you didn't know the secret of. And you respected them. You were kind to them. But suddenly they're on the outs because they're not like you and you have a right to punish them? You know, I would ask our Christian friends that are hearing this program that during Pride Month, ask yourself questions about that. Mm. Where does your heart go against somebody or towards somebody that is not like you? That is trying, struggling desperately to prove that they're worthy enough to be part of the human race. Again, I'm not... I'm not justifying or creating a theology that justifies behaviors. I'm simply saying that I see a big, big sin in choosing willfully to not love. Mm -hmm. When Jesus said, this is the only thing that really matters, is how we start there. How is anyone ever really going to be one to Christ through fear and intimidation and oppression and torture? They're not. No one ever came to Jesus himself because they were scared spitless of hell. They came to Jesus while he was walking this earth because of who he was, the kind of person he was, because he was so attractive in every way, morally, ethically, personally. The love flowed out of him, Mm -hmm. and people were drawn to him. There are so many who struggle to be honest about who they are. And when we choose to condemn them for their honesty, we are a greater fault. So many men and women who have come out as gay or lesbian or bi suffer Mm. a lot of persecution within their families and people around them. I believe it's our job as Christians to become the families of those who are rejected by their own families. We talked about an orphan who was rejected by his family a few days ago, and Jesus is a father to the fatherless. Mm. God loves orphans. God protects the widows and orphans, and he calls us to do that. You've stepped beyond just the idea of changing our minds now, and I do want people's minds to be at least open enough to say, hey, maybe I've been acting in a way that's been hateful, and that in itself is a problem. But to say I need to change my behavior and actually go to somebody I never would have gone to before is a big leap forward. I've got to acknowledge that. It may be a, maybe so. may be a bridge too far today. However, I would say that If God's going to be a father to the fatherless, and we're now his body on earth, what kind of orphans are we not taking in? Mm. I would say people who have been abandoned by their families or their churches because of who they believe themselves to be. They deserve to have a family. Yes. Because God said, I go to them. He doesn't say he goes to the good people. He doesn't say he goes to the clean people. He doesn't say he goes to anybody in particular. He goes to people because he loves them. And if they have an identity as an orphan... He is the father to the fatherless. We are that body now to act it out. So I would say probably the mandate that we're hearing here in this is that we got to be the ones being willing to take in those who have been rejected by others. Absolutely. That gets us three more verses into Jude <laughs> so far. <laughs> and it's about as far as we can go in this program. I know people will be kind of rankled by some of the things we said in today's program, but I want that to be heard in context and in totality. So if you've got opinions on this that may be contrary to what I've offered you as possibilities today and what Sandy has introduced as different ways of perceiving things, talk to us. I'm not saying that we are absolutely right on things. We're in the middle of learning and growing through this too. 
and the world is on fire in a lot of ways, like it hasn't been in generations past, or the fires just coming more out in the open. They were so hidden before. Mm -hmm. So we're in changing times in a lot of ways, but God himself is never changing. I would say one thing to our listeners, too, that if Michael the archangel didn't even shame the devil and left it to God and said, the master's going to take care of us, the Lord rebuke you, then how much more should we leave God's judgment and rebuke to God and not be the ones to bring that on others? God is after a changing heart toward his heart. I don't have a list here of things people have to change their minds and hearts on, but I know that God knows your heart. Mm-hmm. and knows what you really need to become alive, to become his tool, his vessel on this earth, to be him for others. He knows what you need for that, and he will introduce you into things that are very uncomfortable for you to even contemplate. And he says, follow me in this. He may send you places you never thought you'd go. It is not a comfortable thing to have to change your mind about anything. It's a lot harder to have to change your heart about people that you've learned to hate. Consider that as we leave today's Chase the Word. And join us again tomorrow for the next Compassion Radio. We want to bring amazing stories of life change and timely news of God's people in action, bringing the love and compassion of Christ to a new generation. If you've never supported us before, would you consider doing so this month? Many of you have given in the past, and that's why you're hearing my voice today. With so much changing in technology and culture, we need you more than ever, so please keep on with us. Maybe even consider a monthly gift of any size through our vision team. If we could find 200 more partners this year, that could be individuals, study groups, churches, or even like-minded businesses anywhere in this country who would be willing to commit just an average of $50 a month, we could guarantee our operating and project budget for 2022 and 2023. Thanks for joining us today. We're focused right now on the current crisis in and around Ukraine. Friends, really, we need you now to step up. Please give generously, even sacrificially, right away. I know that God will be pleased if we do. So call us today at 1-800-868-2478. Mail us at P.O. Box 2770, Orange, California, 92859. Text the word COMPASSION to 53445 or give online at CompassionRadio.com. Bless you, friends, for your brave and activist faith. God bless, and we'll see you tomorrow.